0: Our ultimate goal is to provide speed and accuracy. And when you do that in any business, you can create greater liquidity in the marketplace, Right? because it creates more transparency and that sort of stuff. So ultimate goal is to create more liquidity in commercial real estate market, which is, as we all know, very illegal.
1: You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Law Podcast, along with attorney, real estate broker, Rory Gill. My name is Jason Muth, and we're thrilled you're here for a spirited conversation. Today, we're going to be talking a lot about 1031 exchanges and commercial real estate and technology. And Rory, what do you know about
3: 1031 exchanges? Pretty well versed on the basics of 1031 exchanges, what they are, what the timelines are, how it works, who you have to hire. Um, But what's going to be great about today's conversation is it's a different aspect of 1031 exchanges that I'm not particularly familiar with. And that is in commercial real estate, um, how you market this. So I don't want to put too many words on our guests today, but I know they specialize on kind of the aspect of 1031 exchanges, which is once you're in a 1031 exchange, you become a very highly motivated buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that there are some opportunities for other parties um, to connect with you and you are very determined to get a deal done just based on the rules. Um, so, without making up anything else or mispeaking, um, Jason, could you bring our guest on and introduce him? Absolutely.
2: Yeah, we're we are speaking today with Adam Sharif. He's the founder and chief strategist with Next CRE. Did I get that right? Yes,
0: Adam? you did.
2: Next CRE. Adam comes to us from sunny Miami. We're recording this today in our never-ending winter here in New England, where there's yet another nor'easter that is hitting us today. And not to not to make this seem too dated, because maybe you're listening to this uh, listener uh, sometime in the summertime or sometime next year. But you know, those are the perils of living in the Northeast, and we don't have the beautiful weather that you have in Miami. Uh, so, welcome to the podcast. Thank you.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah. So tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what is your role as the chief strategist and founder of um, Next CRE? And uh, you got to get into this technology platform that you guys have developed.
0: Well, uh, the concept itself that we're uh, we've launched and are successfully implementing uh, came back uh, came to me back in when I was in GMAC. My background is in commercial real estate finance. I was a member of the senior management committee at GMAC Commercial Mortgage. I uh, was the managing director of the equities transactions group. Uh, but before that, I started my career in commercial real estate as an investment broker. Uh, basically, what we're doing at GMAC. And the 1031 exchange that we'll be discussing is really the byproduct of what we really do with commercial estate lenders. We, commercial estate lenders across the nation, are partnering with Next CRE to gain line of sight into their own borrowers, their own customers' next move once they've paid off their loan due to a sale. Uh, 20% of a lender's portfolio will uh, run off every year. 75% of that 20% percent will be uh, paid off due to a sale of a property. Now, on the refinancing part, which is the other uh, 5%, that's easy for the lenders. They know who uh, those borrowers are. They've been chasing them for some time, two years ahead of them at low maturity, you know, to help them refinance. But once a borrower decides to sell their property, then the lender loses a uh, line of sight to what that borrower will be doing next. There's no digital way for them to to know what they're doing. And that's really the problem we, we solve for commercial estate lenders who are our primary partners. And uh signing up for commercial estate lenders is our number one objective as well. So what happens is two thirds of all those who are paying off their loan by a sale will be reinvesting the proceeds to buy another property, right? And if you're doing that, you're going to leverage 10 exchange exchange uh, tax codes to, to sort of defer the taxes on those gains, right? You're not going to sell your property, pay your taxes, and then invest what's left in it, right? So you got, what you want to do is to invest the whole amount. And in some states, like California or Illinois and New York, those taxes can be 50% of your total proceeds from the sale. So if you're getting $10 million uh, and at closing, five would go to state and federal taxing authorities, and you get to keep the other five, unless you do a 10-term exchange where you can now leverage an entire $10 million. So that's where basically the concept came from is to help commercial estate lenders gain line of sight into what their own borrowers will, their own borrowers reinvestment, equity reinvestment, and debt funding needs. Uh, now what happens is, as soon as, uh, one of their borrowers, uh, responds to, uh, uh, to the lend, our lending partners inquiry into what they'll be doing next, that information is posted up on our platform. We're not a listing site, so you don't get to go on and see a multiple list of must. We call them must-buy investors because for the reasons you mentioned before, they're highly motivated to invest. And in fact, if they want to take advantage of the uh, temporary uh, exchanges, they must reinvest. Right? That's what we call must-buy investors. And um, once that information is on our on our platform, the lender gets a dashboard and sees their uh reinvestment requirement, equity reinvestment requirements. And anyone who has a property sell and they want to sell to a 10 exchange buyer, which is every property seller, because universally they're considered the holy grail of investors, right? There's no one that comes close to what they can provide in terms of probability of close at the higher price. And you know they have the cash on hand. They don't have a lot of time. So you know you know if you're a seller, you're dealing with someone that's not going to string you along or kick the tire and that sort of stuff. You know they have to make a decision and do it rapidly, which is much better for a property seller. And they're using equity that otherwise would be paid towards taxes. So deliverability of a, a transaction is much more important to them than making sure that they have the deal of century. And instead of negotiating on, you know, one uh, hundredth of a uh, percent on a cap rate. They'll care more about, uh, knowing that the seller is motivated to deliver the property on time because time is very short for them. Once a property, uh, seller upload their property information on our platform, they'll get matched very much like a dating site with multiple must buy investors are interested in that type of property at that location or that price range, right? And, and then, uh, conversation ensues between uh, the two of them on our platform and, uh, and the lender gets to see all this activity on their dashboards. And now not only are they seeing what the, their own customers are looking to buy, but they get to see the, uh, their debt, uh, their funding requirement on the debt side, right? So then they can jump in any, anytime and provide funding. The way we make money is we charge the selling side three quarters of a percent. Uh, two thirds of that 50 basis points goes to the lender for allowing us to, par- by being a partner. So not only is the commercial estate lender receiving uh, 50 basis points on every transaction that closes with their buyers, with their borrowers, excuse me, deals that they otherwise wouldn't even know about. They also now get to provide the debt funding for that acquisition. So that's basically how it works. The concept came, uh, to me when I was back in GMAC. If you want to hear a background about that, I'd be more happy to share that with you. But, uh, uh, but what makes what we're doing today, uh, uh, Doable is the digital capabilities that exist today that did not exist back when I was um, uh, running an equity trans- transaction group for GMAC commercial mortgage. Yeah.
3: So, I mean, I hear you with your partnerships with your lenders. This is a really kind of innovative, advanced uh, retention play um, to make sure that their large um, commercial debtors um, stay with them, or at the very least, that they have a chance to um, retain their business with the next property um, in the chain. One thing just I understand a little bit better is how the data first comes available to you. You know, as you suggested, the lenders kind of lose line of sight with their borrowers once they've made the decision to sell, and they're not really intimately involved in that decision making. When does the identity of the, the borrower come in um, to play? Is it when they register with you? Is it when you understand, you analyze the data? When does that profile come into
0: your system? That's a great question. And what we call an early warning signal is what starts the whole process. If you have a property, you have a loan on it, your loan doc says you got to let the lender know 30 days ahead of when you are planning on paying off that loan. We call that an early warning signal. So the loan docs. So if you're, if you're refinancing or selling, whatever you have to do, you have to send a note. A notice to your lender, go to the servicing desk, asking them to give you uh, a payoff letter. And again, 30 days ahead. In some cases, the closing date is moved a week or two. So you sometimes get this information, uh, 45, 60 days ahead of the actual uh, projected uh, date. So as soon as that happens, the lender sends, the lender receives that notice and logs it onto their system because they have to timestamp it and all that sort of stuff. As Soon as that happens, then our system automatically sends to that borrower an email with a link to a questionnaire that's branded with a lender's logo. The message is from the lender. It's not from us. And the lender is trying to find out what their borrower will be doing next. You know, why are you paying off your loan? Is it a refi or a sale? If it's a refi, you know, we don't ask any more questions. It's done. Thank you so much. You know, congratulations, that sort of stuff. But if they're selling, well, uh, then the questionnaire um, continues and says, will you be reinvesting the proceeds from the cash? If the answer is yes, if the answer is no. Thank you so much. But if the answer is yes, then The message goes on and says, look, you know, we want to help you with your new acquisition. We've partnered with Next CRE. We're in a position to increase the number of opportunities that you'll get to see, opportunities that you otherwise wouldn't see. If you're a borrower and you get an email like that from your lender and knowing they're a big, you know, they have a big servicing portfolio and they have multiple other borrowers. And you might assume that some of those borrowers may have properties that's not on the market. So, you know, off-market deal, if you will, or maybe the lender has uh uh, opportunities that are in distress situation. So yeah, you want to see those. So you're going to respond to your lender's question as to what, uh, uh, seeking as to what you want to buy because by the way, you're not a borrower. Your information is totally anonymous. The only information that is shown to the people who are matched. Is what is the amount of equity you have and what is your selection deadline and how many days you have for your selection deadline amount of equity? Those two things sort of lines you up as to whether you're a good potential must buy investor. If you have five days left on your, um, you know, to identify a property, chance of it's a property seller, that's not going to work for you because he doesn't have enough time to control, you know, to do his due diligence, contract control, all the things you need to do before your selection deadline to, Select that property. So, so you may not want to send your property to that must buy investor or someone that's got two million in equity but wants to do twenty million dollar deal. Well, you know they're going to have to raise additional money, and, and you might want to still send it to them or not. But, but you can determine as a property seller who gets to see your property, and if they once you send it to them, then they decide. Then the must buy investor decides if they want to pursue your opportunity. So it's really, it's that, it's kind of simple, but, uh, but it's not as simple as it looks.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think it's fascinating that you took this one little data point, which probably isn't so little, which is that, you know, you need a payoff statement or something has been triggered. And that obviously gets people to say, hmm, something's going on with this bar or what's going on with this person. And then your system helps push them along and probably back into that lender's space in the first place where they might've been uh, purchasing another property and the lender might be completely pieced out of that. Cause I think on the residential space, you know, there's so much shopping for mortgages when you're buying another property and that, You know, you just need a payoff statement with your current loan. You don't even think twice of, you know, the servicing company or the bank that you used to work with unless you have a really deep relationship with this company. But I think that on the residential side, a lot of people are probably just shopping rates and shopping whatever local banks or relationships they have. But, you know, this retention play that you have where you're saying to these commercial lenders, Hey, listen, like you're making a lot of interest, uh, from this customer right here. Don't lose them. Uh, figure out a way to retain this person. And we have this platform that will identify folks that are about to do a 1031 exchange and let's help them, you know, keep your, keep the funding or keep a loan for a future loan with your institution. I just think that's an incredible little tiny data point that you found that you were able to, you know, use to. Work with these commercial lenders and saying, I have a way for you to kind of retain a lot of your business.
0: I've heard someplace that it's much cheaper to keep an existing customer than to acquire a new one, right? So that's what this is about. So instead of normally, uh, you mentioned residential, this probably was, this is probably how it happens in commercial as well. It is the borrower that has to call the lender and say, hey, what do you got? Here's what I'm doing. We've changed that model a little bit. Now, the lender has a line of sight as to what's happening. The lender can be proactive and reach out to that borrower and tell them, hey, I know, you know, based on the fact that you're an next and you're signed up and you've been matched, uh, you're looking at, this you know, this 20-year apartment complex and Sioux city iowa or whatever you might be whatever it might be and you know uh you have the red roll you have the operating 12 uh, month trailing operating information you have all that sort of stuff and based on that you know you've decided what you want to pay and based on our underwriting this is the loan quote we can give you uh now uh that quote comes directly from the lenders, so there aren't any outside brokers involved in that case. So, so for the borrower, that's a much more attractive uh, quote than one that would come in through a you know third party, if you will. Uh, so, um, so the lender has is in a prime position to keep their own borrower based on the information they have, as opposed to waiting to hear from someone else that their own customers are uh, engaging in some sort of an activity that they can use your services. So that. To, to us, I think is a, is is an enormously uh, uh, valuable um, way to go about doing the next deal, uh, next CRE, right? The NXT is, uh, stands for two things actually. It stands for your next deal, also stands for the next phase of the way commercial real estate transaction market will be evolving. Our goal, ultimate goal is to provide uh, speed and accuracy. And when you do that in any business, you can create greater liquidity in the marketplace, right? Because it creates more transparency and that sort of stuff. So, ultimate goal is to create more liquidity in the commercial real estate market, which is, as we all know, very illiquid.
1: We'll be right back.
3: Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals, taking into account reserves, true cash flow including depreciation and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. What proportion of the property owners take up the lender's offer to start a conversation about working with them what's the adoption rate there
0: it's been 100 percent so far uh okay. you know the ones that are doing it. it and it and of course it doesn't cost them anything right as I said before if you're a buyer if you're a must-buy investor you want to see everything in the marketplace so to let to let your lender know what you're looking for is really to your ban- benefit right it doesn't cost you anything in fact it's much better than trying to go on various listing sites and trying to find properties and do the filtering and and only find out that some of these listings have been dated and, and it, uh, you know deals are no longer available but the broker said, hey but i've got another deal so they basically have these listings on these listing sites more as a as a hook if you will to get uh, potential buyers to call them and that sort of stuff and then you wind up getting calls from everyone uh, and you get inundated with unqualified opportunities and that sort of stuff and that takes a lot of your time as a buyer and trying to figure out exactly what you want so for them it's not a problem right so for them it's not a problem to, to uh, complete the questionnaire it does matter who it does matter what the borrower sees if if that questionnaire came directly from us someone they didn't know anything about next like cre chances are they wouldn't uh be that forthcoming because you know how are you helping me you know you're mm-hmm. asking me this information you're just another broker that's going to be and you know sending me all kinds of stuff but since it's coming from their lender someone that they've had relationships with now by the time you're selling it you probably have owned the property seven eight nine ten years and during that time every month you've been sending in in addition to your to your interest payment uh rent rolls operating information you know your balance sheet all this other sort of stuff that you that your loan doc says you have to do if you don't do it you wind up you know paying uh uh late filing fees and stuff like that to your lender so you know so you have a relationship with your lender you know who they are and when when that lender says look i want to help you find your next deal it's hard for most buying investors no i hate you i don't want to i don't want you to help me you know find opportunities otherwise i wouldn't have or anything like that that's not going to happen and Mm -hmm. and, uh very rarely you hate people that are giving you money anyway so so there's a great deal of credibility when that borrower receives that email with a link to the questionnaire that's branded with a lender's logo and a message from the lender it's very hard for a borrower to disregard that and dismiss it
2: i was going to ask how much you think a commercial property seller is going to be doing a 1031 exchange like is it hundred percent of the people that are selling that are now looking to roll that over or like what what percentage of that marketplace it's about two-thirds
0: a majority of them will be reinvesting the proceeds from the sale not i mean not mm-hmm. look, if a pension fund selling a property they don't pay taxes so they don't have to do a 10th or an exchange right? right they don't do that there and then there's other um, institutional type investors that aren't going to do 10th or an exchange if you're a closed-end fund for instance where everything's got to be liquidated you're not going to do the 10th or an exchange there Although there are ways to go, go around that. You need everyone's cooperation in a way, but it's uh generally that doesn't happen. But most everyone else does. Look, I came up with this concept when I was at GMAC, as I mentioned before. Um, we were primarily a debt platform. We were the 800-pound gorilla. Nobody came close to us back then. We had a servicing portfolio, an of $300 billion. And, you know, being on the on the city management committee, on the t- city management team, I would get We get all kinds of data as to who's refinancing and that sort of stuff but as i'm looking through the data i'm looking at most of the uh most of these uh, loans are being paid off or being paid off due to sales so my question is hey what's going on here what if they're selling there's a capital event going on what can we do to create uh provide some value and the answer was they're not refinancing we don't care we just you know chase uh those and I'm, I'm i'm on the equity transaction group there's a capital event there's a shitload of equity to speak sorry for my language you know we let's let's find out more about this okay and so uh we start contacting those uh borrowers and ask them you know what they were doing and about two-thirds uh said yeah we're going to re- uh, reinvest the proceeds to buy another property uh most it, it, it exchange buyers mirror the u.s uh, real estate generally right in terms of what they buy and, uh, and their profile i mean you could, you could they could be selling a car wash they could be selling an office building it could be an apartment uh, complex and they could be buying all those things as well so we we asked them what they would want if they were interested and of course for the reason i mentioned before yeah you know we've got a million dollar loan servicing portfolio tens of thousands of borrowers there's got to be opportunities there that we otherwise wouldn't see of course yeah please send us whatever you have right um and then we went to our uh, property sellers, uh, some other I'm sorry, other borrowers who thinking of selling their properties, and I said, Well, look, would you be interested in selling your property? Uh, we've got these number of tenth and exchange investors, which we now call must buy investors. Uh, of course, the answer was universal. They've got cash on hand. Well, it's not even on hand, it's an escrow. They can't even touch, right? They can't take it go to Vegas and lose it or anything like that. It's gotta stay in escrow. Um, they have very short time to make a decision, and they um and they're using money that, again, we said before, that uh, would otherwise go to pay taxes. So they're looking for deliverability of, above all else. And so they're excited. Yeah, we'd love to sell to them. And it was like shooting fish in a barrel. The problem was the communication tools available to us back then were mostly phone fax and FedEx, right? I mean, that's basically what it was. Um, emails were just getting started. I don't, you couldn't do attachment. I wasn't very comfortable using emails just then either. So it became like the, um, TV show, I love Lucian, if you remember the chocolate scene and the conveyor belt it got mm-hmm. so it was started going so fast we start we just couldn't keep up with the volume uh to the point where we weren't serving our clients very well we would you know we only I would have to hire I think 80 to 90 new people to handle all that volume and I have no interest in doing anything like that uh you know when you do something like that for a big company you know the big company is gonna is the owner of it and you know you'll get promoted somewhere else and someone else gets to run it and have fun with it and I wasn't gonna that's I'm like this is not gonna work for me um so I went on started my own real estate investment development firm developed and uh, Illinois, Texas, South Florida. In fact, the first deal we bought in South Florida was the George Soros REIT, which is complicated as hell to buy a REIT, uh, included a 500, 17 year apartment complex right on the beach, on the water. It, it was a fantastic deal for everyone. And, uh, we developed housing and townhouse developments and Palm Beach Gardens and that sort of stuff. And about three years, three years ago, I started thinking about what we were doing at GMAC and I was thinking about technology. I was actually primarily thinking about technology and how that is changing or has the potential to sort of change a lot of the things we do. And real estate has always been behind in that sort of stuff. And, and I thought about, uh, the problem we had when I was at GMAC and, and, uh, getting more of these must buy investor deals done, knew that, that with, technology being able to deliver data as fast as it can today we could leverage technology and and take advantage of that unfortunately not unfortunately but i no longer worked on gmax so i didn't have the cap of dollars worth of servicing to go after and all that so we had to go out there and find uh lenders who would partner with us and like anything else when you start building these things you have to identify every component that goes into building it and have the team to put it together and that sort of stuff. So that takes a long time to do, believe it or not. You know, people have to uh, believe in your vision. They have to believe in your ability to, uh, 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 to execute. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, that's not the easiest thing to do. And uh, especially at the beginning where no one is getting paid. It's just an idea. If you, you know, we do well, we all do well. If we don't, they have to have confidence in my ability to execute to, in order to partner with me uh, early on.
3: I have a couple more profound questions, but there's one just like little thing that's eating at me. And that's, you know, if in the exchangers position, once you're branded as a must-buy investor, does that undercut their negotiating position at all when they go to acquire the next property if it's kind of known that they're such a motivated buyer?
0: Let me ask you a question. Does it matter if you call them a tenth or an exchange buyer or or a must-buy investor? Once the seller knows that, they know that. In fact, they have to put that in a contract or we're doing a 10 an exchange, right? So, so sellers, everyone knows that. And the answer to the question is no, because if you're a motivated seller, right, what you want to do is you may... Main- Uh, focus is to find someone who has a higher probability of closing the deal right because you know maybe you have a loan that's coming to you can't extend it you want someone that you know will close on the deal and you know that if you're the kind of a seller that wants to squeeze your buyer on every deal you're going to miss out on a lot of really good investors right because they're not just getting your deal as a seller they're getting a lot of other uh, deals from other sellers you can say well i'm going to squeeze you well Mr seller you're not the only one you know yeah. who, who has his property in front of these uh must-buy investors so you know you were delivering higher probability of closing a- in a shortest period of time so if that that value isn't enough for you and you got to also try to squeeze every last nickel out of your buyer just understand that you're also competing with the other sellers that may not be as unreasonable or as irrational as you are as a, as a property seller right because We can want whatever we want, we can do whatever we want. But reality is we live in a competitive world and You're not the only game in town, if you will. That's the problem we're solving solving for our must-buy investors because right now, must-buy investors do have that problem, right? Because, you know, many times they wind up acquiring mismatched assets, something that doesn't work for them just because of the timing. Sometimes they have to overpay, and many times the exchange fails just because they can't find the right property uh, on time. So that's technology also solves that problem for the must-buy investor. And what we call, what we tell must buy investors is, look, you're a must buy investor today. If you're on our platform, chances are you'll be a done deal investor tomorrow. And that's what you want, uh, more than anything else. And that's what the sellers want. Sellers want people that are working with that, uh, that want to get the deal done.
3: A good number of our listeners are involved in real estate, um, either as agents or as, you know, small scale residential, um, investors. So I want to kind of extrapolate the lessons you've had, um, building up, um, this, enterprise to some, you know, some key takeaways for them. And I can tee you up with one that's glaring and that is the value of having a, you know, a retention uh, marketing strategy. So, you know, for a real estate agent, if they're well organized with their client list, um, they can predict when a client's lease is going to expire or when their youngest child is going to graduate from high school or even to be on the lookout for dynamic points such as a a divorce filing or a job promotion, things that might trigger them to be more likely to buy or sell. You know, you've done a lot. You've built this enterprise. You've worked kind of a unique angle um, in the industry. Um, Are there any kind of more universal lessons that you could um, share with our, you know, agent and small-scale investors?
1: We'll be right back.
2: Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes.
0: Absolutely. And me, here's what I want to say to the agents because we're very broker friendly. Platform is not exclusively available to brokers. We would if they, if every broker would agree to exclusively put up all their properties on our platform. We'd be more than happy to give them an exclusive, you know, do all deals with brokers, which obviously neither one of those things is going to happen. Technology can do a better job of price point discovery, right? I think that's what, technology does better than anyone else technology can never provide representation and every property seller needs representation and that's really what the if if a broker is thinking that their main value to their seller is to be the uh procuring cause uh of, of a of an investor then i think they're missing what uh, the seller's needs really are the seller really needs representation seller needs someone wants to the buyers identified to sort of uh, walk them through the market show them what's going on what's been happening why rent should be what. With- Sellers are suggesting they should be and that sort of stuff, walkthroughs and all that sort of stuff. Technology can't do that. Uh, you have to have a person that uh, that knows the market to that. Additionally, if you are, uh, especially if you're uh, young or early, you know, just getting started in the business, don't have a big book of business. You can use, you can stay more competitive. You can get more listings, which is the most the hardest part in a commercial say, transaction, right? Selling, you know, eventually you're going to sell the uh, asset, but getting the listing is the, the toughest part of closing any transaction because without it, you have nothing, right? You need the product, you need the listing. And one way you can u- uh, use our platform to be competitive in getting a listing against someone else who is also uh, pitching to get that listing is say, "Look, uh, I'm going to put your property on next CRE because that's where they have the greatest number of, of, of buyers that have the highest potential probability of closing. If your competitors in doing that, that should be a slam dunk uh, sales pitch to your seller in terms of getting them to give you the listing in the post of someone who wouldn't want to do something like that because they don't care about the seller's best interest. Brokers, in, and I started my career as a broker, they aren't always um, uh, incentivized to, uh, to represent. Sometimes the way they're compensated, this incentivizes them from Creating the kind of transparency and efficiency that they're actually, uh, in the business to provide, uh, just be, because the way they're, uh, compensated. We're saying that you guys have to stop thinking like that. You got to start thinking about your own customers and your own clients. And the faster you, and then, uh, if you, once you do that and you start closing more deals faster, you'll start getting more deals, uh, more listings as a result of it that's what we tell uh, our brokers. We have, uh, uh, we're partnering with CCIM. I don't know if you, if you guys are familiar with CCIM, I'm sure you are. I think tomorrow's when we're gonna hear the final results uh, where they ha- they'll have 13,000 members who are all brokers. Well, their listings will be on our platform and they'll be matched with most buy investors and that sort of stuff and ccim will do, go through this big training with all, all their members and you know marketing and all that we'll do some dual marketing with them trying to reach all their brokers and trying to get their brokers to upload their property information onto our platform cutting back the marketing time uh, and cost uh, of selling that, that asset and and becoming a hero to their seller and going and then getting the next listing
2: yeah you know this is all a really fascinating element of the commercial real estate tra- transactions in the ten thirty one exchange process that probably a lot of us didn't even know was happening. I mean it's a tool out there that uh, you're solving a need for uh, people that are looking for those ten thirty one exchange properties uh, and for financial institutions to retain their customers and you know the way that you kind of triangulated to realize this was a need uh you know based on all of your experience was super fascinating, so you know we really appreciate your going into All that detail about this entire space that probably a lot of people that are listening didn't even know was there. Why don't we get to our final couple of questions and then you could uh, let everybody know where they can reach out to you and learn more about Next CRE and uh, and the products that you're offering. Uh, So we ask these questions of all of our guests that come on the podcast. They're really simple and they're a great way just to kind of wrap things up and learn a little bit more about you. So Adam, our first one that we have for you is, uh, if you can get on stage for half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation... Doesn't have to be real estate. Uh, what would that be?
0: Oh my god! I don't know. I'm a sports fan. I <laughs> maybe you speak about that. I follow leaders, uh, other leaders in the industry. I always try to find out what their take uh, is on things. You know, I'm interested in what Jamie Diamond has to say, and I'm interested in you know the Oracle of uh, Omaha has to say. And, but more importantly uh i'm interested in learning from as many different people as i can and if i were to speak on a stage for 30 minutes i would probably give you you know example of what someone said like for instance barry dillard said you know i'd much rather have a a, a c concept and an a level execution than to have a, a concept and a c or d level execution right that is a uh, that's a very interesting topic to be discussing because without no matter how great your idea ideas are uh without the proper execution or a level execution which includes building an a-level team uh isn't going to happen so Mm -hmm. you know those are the sort of things i probably would want to i'd probably at least uh speak to what steve job said in the past or something in fact i just saw read an article about about steve job the other day that just blew my mind i mean uh, he was at first against the apple phone he didn't mm-hmm. think it should be launched. he didn't think it was going to work. But what happened was really uh, what I thought was fascinating is that his people pushed him to get it going, and it didn't. T- it wasn't over over uh, overnight. What I, the lesson from that is, if you're joining a team looking for the oracle to lead you all the way. You probably are not going to be as big an asset to the team as one who wants to be the next Oracle on your team. So, you yep. know, you want guys, you want people that take initiative. You want people that, that can, um, uh, that not be afraid to speak up about a concept or idea or how to improve things. You want people that are true believers. And if you can find them on your team, you found gold. So that's those, yep. so, those so those are the sort of stuff I probably be.
2: Even the best oracles out there, uh, you know, they are not self-made. They surround themselves with a great network of people that they trust, and they learn from those folks and they bounce ideas off them. Uh, so that's a great subject to to speak on. Uh, second, one of these final questions we have for you: uh, Tell us something happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today.
0: I've always had the concept. I've always had the belief that. There's really not much that I can put my mind to that I can uh, overcome. That doesn't mean I was right, but that's that's the kind of personality I have. I also believe in what Daniel Burnham uh, said, uh, make no small plans. They do not inspire the hearts of men. So, you know, those are the sort of things that probably shape my life and uh, the things that I go after.
2: All right. Uh, and finally, tell us something you're listening to or watching or reading these days. It could be anything in the world
0: everything and, and anything <laughs> i i have a news feed i mean i i you'd be surprised where you get some ideas right i mean information is everywhere so uh and some most of it just useless and they, you've got to figure out how to you know filter it uh quickly but i read everything i, I mean I, I read stuff from the very left the very right in between uh i uh i, I read about sports i read about business uh Everything that, uh, that I get my hands on, I will, uh, I will read and try to see how I can use it to help uh, myself and my team and our investors. True devourer of information.
3: Uh, Rory, any final questions that you have or anything that, uh, before you wrap up? No, I just want to make sure that our listeners understand um, where they could learn more about your services, your product and your company and about you.
0: Well, uh, com is our website. You can go on. Uh, and uh, if they want information, info at com is a great place to start. But if you need to reach me uh, personally, at Adam at com. Adam, I just excellent. To,
3: I just want to be um, clear that everybody, that is nxtcre.com. Well, we'll put that in
2: the show notes. So yeah. just <laughs> scroll down further if you're listening to this. Go check out the uh, the YouTube version or the show notes, and there will be links over to your website. Um, hey, Rory, where can people get a
3: hold of you? Uh, people could find me either through my real estate brokerage, that's Next Home nexthome titletown dot com, or through my law practice, uh, that's Urban Village Legal, UrbanVillageLegal dot com. And if you have enjoyed this episode,
2: we'd love it if you could give us a great review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this, Spotify or even YouTube. Uh, If you have comments, feel free to comment below or shoot us a quick email. You can email me. uh, That's Jason at NextHomeTitletown.com. We read all of our comments. If you want to be a guest on this podcast, please reach out to us and we'll see if we have any slots to get you scheduled. All right. Well, Adam, thank you so much. Adam uh, Sharif with Next CRE. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, and, uh, you know, all the best for a great year this year. This platform looks like it is uh, really going to help lots of folks on both sides of the transaction. We should do the best with that.
0: Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Rory. Appreciate your time. Thanks again for inviting me. Thank you.
1: This has been the Real Estate Law Podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures. And law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Titletown, greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts Real Estate Council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening.